Hey everybody, welcome to Thumbnail, a visual arts podcast. I'm Joe Roshert, illustrator, animator, and adjunct professor. And I'm Louis Rosignal, visual artist, and today we are going to be talking about attention and getting attention as an artist, which is, well, I mean, it's obviously one of the most important things if you're trying to sell your art or you're trying to get people to see your art, how do you do that? But probably one of the harder things as an introvert or as a stereotypical introvert artist. How do you get attention? So we'll get into that in a second. We've had a whole month off. We both kind of decided it would be best to take December off because it's just too busy to podcast and put any real effort into it. I guess I just didn't want to have to come up with different topics and half-ass it, I guess. Right. So it's, it's better to do it this way. I know Felix Scheinberger is going to be on the podcast in a couple of weeks. He's a great German illustrator, so that will be cool. I'm excited for that. Joe was just talking about maybe doing some short videos of teaching, talking about the art business, and maybe doing some tutorials and putting them on TikTok to generate interest in the podcast. But also, you decided that you've really enjoyed TikToks that are teaching you something. I love it. I think that's where it's going. Well, at least where it's going for me and my news feeds filling up with useful content. It's not people dancing anymore. It's now people teaching me how to be more financially literate or how to manage my business properly. And I don't know, it feels like it's growing up and I want to add to that. I think there's a niche there where, and a lot of artists on TikTok that would also like the short format style of teaching. I think so too, like less than a minute. Your For You pages maturing because when you first join TikTok, they don't know what type of person you are. So the algorithm's just throwing at you the most popular content. But the more you're on TikTok, they start seeing what things you're commenting on. They get more of an idea of what to show you, right? Starts feeding me what I want. Which is why I don't see any learning stuff on mine. It's all like stupidity and jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I should comment more on like things that are teaching and stuff. But yeah, I haven't been on TikTok as much as I was in the late summer. I'm still on there like a few times a week. And, and yeah. whenever I get on there, it kind of devolves into like two hours. And then I'm like, that's why I don't go on as often as I used to, because I know that it's going to just suck up time. Yeah, it is a black hole. Of, but if, if you make the black hole a little bit productive, it doesn't feel as bad. <laughs> Well, this is what we're talking about today anyway, attention. And I always find it interesting, like what things catch your attention on TikTok? Like I'm going through and why did I stop at that video? Right. Was it because there was already a ton of likes on it? So I knew there was going to be something good. But then how did it get that many likes? Other people stopped on it. Yeah. And like what catches people's attention? That's interesting. You look at the likes before you look at the video? Occasionally, I'll start a video a couple seconds in. And if I'm not sure, if it just catches my attention, I don't care what the likes are. But if it kind of half does, then I look down. And if it says zero comments, I'm like, okay, I'm like one of the first people to see this. So it's probably garbage. (laughs) because it didn't catch my attention that much anyway so it depends on the video i guess that's the importance of catching attention in the beginning yeah yeah and front loading instead of back loading the real attention grabber yeah but i've also reposted a couple times and the reposts didn't do nearly as good as the originals and it's the exact same video Hmm. and so the algorithm is obviously to play too it's not all about the content of the video because i'm literally reposting the same video and it does way worse right speaking of algorithms before we get into it i stalled out on instagram at a number for a year like i hit a certain number of followers and it, mm-hmm. my number didn't move for like a year. And so I just thought, okay, well, Instagram's dead. There's no growth anymore. And then sometime in mid-December, 
all of a sudden that number finally moved up one, like to the next thousand. Wow. And then a week later it moved up another one. And then just yesterday it moved up another one. So I had zero growth. And then in three weeks, like a thousand new followers per week. What do you think's doing it? I have no idea. Like, I think they may have changed their algorithm again to try to help with natural growth. Hmm. I can't understand what else it would be. Nothing really changed from what you were doing all last year? No, I don't think I really changed much at all, honestly. Hmm. So, you know, because I was looking at that, like, what's going different? And I I don't think there's anything, honestly. I think they may have just reworked the algorithm a little bit. And then all of a sudden people were naturally finding my page again. Yeah. So I don't know. We're going to talk about getting attention and it's not like an exact science. And like I'm talking about right now, I don't even know how come my page is all of a sudden starting to a little bit grow again and what I did to do it. So it's not always that easy. But what types of things have you found that have seemed to get attention and why do you think that is? I guess if I'm looking back on my own career, first you start to get attention Well, I started to get attention while I was in school or through family and friends as I'm growing up. And to get attention, I needed to go above and beyond, over-deliver every time. And so even in school, whenever there was an assignment, I would try my best to over-deliver. And I benefited from that because I made more mistakes, I learned more, I had more successes and was able to funnel that success. And so the first way to get attention is to get the attention of your peers, the people around you, your friends, your family, and focus locally. And so you start to notice, okay, this is getting attention and the results I want in this small bubble for some reason, right? And so how do I grow that bubble? Mm -hmm. And the main thing is people need to see it. People need to see your stuff to even realize that it catches their attention. And if they don't see it, you don't get the attention. So how do you get people to see your work? And so you need to get it in front of them, whether it be social media, website. It's more social media than website now. But are you having physical shows, places to expand your bubble locally? Are you having shows outside of your bubble? And so the more you could get eyes on your work, the more attention you'll get. And it just adds up as far as sheer numbers go. Doesn't matter if it's good. Doesn't matter if it's bad. Oh, I take that back. But at least you're getting attention. No, I agree with that. I think getting eyes on your work is the first step to getting attention. And then you you have to go from there, obviously, because lots of people are on social media. And so when you scroll, you're going to see a lot of different people. But the key is to make something that actually stands out from the rest of the noise so that people stop. Right. And so you actually get more of their attention than everyone else is getting. That's what you want. It's really about getting more attention. You got to think of attention not so much in a one and done kind of a way too. You were able to keep the attention of your friends and family. Yeah. How? By providing a relationship, providing value, by having a personality that and a story that they could connect with. And so instead of just a good example would be back in the day when there's a lot of pop-ups, right, on the internet. And it's like, yeah, they're just getting your attention because something is actually popping up in front of your face. Right. Right. But that's not good attention. That's not positive attention. You need to develop the relationship and the story as well. So as much as you want to grab a, a new addition to your network's attention, You have to also think about how to keep that attention in the future from that new person. And so, again, you're you're always over delivering, but you're giving reason and you're defining a story around what you're showing. I like to think about attention like as 
well, I first of all, I like to separate it from art altogether for a second and go back to like school. And like, I always noticed in school when I made like a funny comment during class, I got people to laugh and that felt good that people paid attention to me. And mm -hmm. I wasn't super popular, but I realized certain things, you know, made people like me more and that feels good, right? And so you have to figure out in life in general, how you can get people to be drawn to you. But you can use that same knowledge to apply it to your art. And being a good person, for instance, draws people to you. And so you can use your art to do good things. And that draws people to you if you're using it for a good cause or to raise money or just to promote a good message. And then unfortunately, the fact of the matter is bad behavior gets attention too. And so artists like, I'm trying to think, well, for instance, Shepard Fairey with his Hope poster that was um, mm -hmm. copyright infringement. He's a really successful artist now. And it was all because of negative attention that he got. And I'm not saying to go out there and steal someone else's art and use it in your own art to get negative attention. I'm just stating the fact. Yeah. Have you ever watched the documentary about Shepard Fairey? Not the part about the Hope, but the Andre the Giant sticker? Yes. I did. Because that's a really good example of someone being super creative with how to get attention. He had like these stickers that he made that had Andre the Giant on them. And he turned it into like a brand, a clothing brand. Obey? Obey, yeah. But the original ones didn't say Obey. They just said like Andre the Giant has a posse or something like that. Hmm. And he plastered those stickers everywhere, all over Rhode Island, all over... Providence all over and they ended up expanding into like Boston and New York and he didn't even put his name anywhere on the sticker so you didn't know the artist all you knew is everywhere you walked in Providence during like the 90s or whatever you saw this Andre the Giant sticker and he was getting attention and eventually it got to the point where people were like it wasn't always a sticker either sometimes he used giant posters of it and plastered okay. them on buildings like a, a wheat paste kind of a thing yeah he ended up getting arrested a bunch of times too for vandalism but the point is like he found a way to basically guerrilla market and get mm -hmm. attention before social media and i kind of think that things may end up going towards that again in the future sometime where people will get tired of social media and want to do things like that again? I think there's some merit there. I think social media is getting a little too cold. There's not enough social in the media. You know, yeah. it's becoming more of a reference than it is a relationship. Yeah, I agree with you. In a lot of cases, it's just becoming media. The only thing social about it is the fact that you can leave comments and I guess you can get into arguments with people and conversations, but... It's like, what would be better in these two scenarios? Having a thousand followers that like and comment on your stuff all the time, and they're like your cohort of followers right. on social media. Like, that's great. Or would you rather be in contact, like physical contact or mail or like actual deeper conversations with 100 followers who actually support everything you do and, I don't know, buy all your stuff. Well, that's a good point. And then you could go further where it's like, or would you rather have 100,000 social media followers that are just kind of like, now and then they'll like your stuff, right? And you, and you don't know them personally, but maybe 10%, maybe even 1%, I don't even know. It's probably less than 5% would actually buy something. Well, I can tell you right now, I think I have maybe a few thousand sales on Etsy. And then I've sold things through PayPal and Kickstarter. But still, 125,000 followers 
and I don't know, maybe 5,000 sales or something. So you can do the math on that. Right. And a lot of them are repeat customers too, a lot of the orders. So it's way less than, five, well, it's less than 5%. I, I don't know, my math's not good. I think it's less than 5% of people that follow my work that have actually spent money on it. The point I'm trying to make is that as awesome as attention is, as a broad scope, it is even more important to develop those relationships. Relationships, yeah. I agree. If you can do it on a big scope, do it on a big scope and really develop relationships and give, give, give in order to get some sometimes. Yeah. A great thing I just learned this past week, I took a lead generation course. And one thing that was talked about was email marketing and how to get emails and starting to grow your email list and stuff like that. I always kind of poo-pooed an email list and didn't think much of it. But now... I think that was stupid of me. I think an email list is actually really important and super beneficial in a great way, especially now, where you can now develop those more personalized relationships with with people beyond social media. And like now, does email kind of become more like mail? Is it becoming more like mail where you can use that as a tool to develop those relationships as you would with a letter. It's a little bit more personalized. I think there's definitely something there. The key thing that I learned though was with your email list, on average, you'll make a dollar a month per email that's on your list. And I'm like, holy crap, that's really powerful. And you can boost that dollar with how well the relationship is and how close you are. Yeah, that makes sense. So if you had a thousand emails versus a hundred emails, you could potentially make that hundred emails worth far more than the thousand just by being able to have the back and forth real relationship versus the thousand. And what that means to me, I don't know if this is what you're thinking too, is that means you're going to email them even when you're not selling anything. Just to say, hey, you know, no, and I don't mean like every day you're emailing them. I'm saying like maybe you have two sales a year on your prints or whatever you're selling, but you should still email them once a month just to say, hey, this is some of the cool art I've made this month. I hope you're doing well. And that way you are building a relationship with them. And five out of the six emails they get from you are not salesy. And I know that that's hard. And I admit that I haven't always done that. In fact, I need to send more of those type of emails out where it's just checking in and and saying hi. Yeah, I want to start making a list now of people who want that, who want to be a part of, you know, the Fort House Studios family and uh, start to develop an actual relationship with the people who like my work, you know? So yeah, do you want to take in the $1 a month from the thousand? It could be selling little things on the side or maybe just like, couple big things to a couple of those thousand or do you make the average sale of like ten dollars a month from your smaller group those are equal so you could always leverage the attention you're getting i want to talk about putting in effort to this too because i'm trying to think of an example of someone who's maybe let's say you're just a teenager maybe you're Mm -hmm. still in high school you do like to draw pet portraits Mm -hmm. You'd like to do cats and dogs, watercolor portraits or or whatever. It's tempting to be like, I want to start an Instagram and get tons of followers. And that's how I can start selling my portraits. And that could work for you eventually. But I think a better way to start at that stage would almost be to literally just print out like maybe a postcard or a card with a cover, you know, a picture of one of your portraits on the cover and get a bunch of copies of it and send them out to your 
neighbors, mm. people that live in a few blocks around you and write a nice little note on each one. This is effort. You're putting an effort and a handwritten note. I'm one of your neighbors. I do pet portraits. If you ever want to do one for $50. And I feel like that would get you so much attention because it's so unique. It, you, nobody ever does that, mm-hmm. right? And you're really standing out. You're doing something that nobody's doing. You're sending out a handwritten card with your art saying, hey, I'm a teenager and I live a couple streets over from you. This is the type of thing I'm trying to get into if you ever want to do a pet portrait. I usually do them for $100, but I'm doing them for 50 for my neighbors. I would take that person up on it. I would think it was such a cool idea. It's like a lemonade stand, right? Even if the kids were selling a glass of crappy lemonade for $5, hell yeah, I'm getting one. Every time. I have a sucker for lemonade stands. Yeah. And it's because these kids are trying. You know, they're putting out the effort. They're putting in the effort to reap a reward, you know, themselves. And as we grow professionally as artists and as adults, we still have to do that. We just have to do it in a different way that doesn't seem... It could still feel the same way is my point too. It's like, why can't it feel like the lemonade stand, but just something else? Well, why are you buying from a kid's lemonade stand? You're buying because they're a kid and they're cute and you want to support them and you know they're going to be super excited to get the sale because this is their first little job and they're going to use it to buy a toy or whatever. And so you can make it known that you're excited to work on people's art. Hey, I'd be really excited to do a portrait for you. If people know, I'm going to be hiring an artist that is actually excited to do a portrait of my pet. Or, you know, I'm just using the same example, but I'm going to be honest, like when sometimes when I get contacted for doing commissions, I'm like, oh, like I really don't want to do this commission. And that's a crappy attitude to have. I should be so thankful that people want to hire me to do work, right? And I should put that out into the world. I really want to do your portrait. I really want to do your thing. I'm just trying to go off of what you're talking about, that feeling of like, why do you buy off of a a lemonade stand? And can you use that as an adult? Yeah, that's interesting. And then maybe, you know, with the commission thing, I've seen a couple of strategies that seem to work nicely to put supply and demand on your commission. So it's like, hey, I have 10 spots open this month for yeah. commissions. Mm-hmm. Do a portrait of your pet. It's 100 bucks a pop, but I only have 10 spots. If you're interested, let me know. And then you're not swamped with a lot of low-paying work, but you're also giving the opportunity to people who really want that and want to support you but like not everyone can pay the thousands most can't pay the thousands that you're worth even if you're worth it they can't do it and so you have to find ways to also hit your public and your fans that they can't support finding products that are cheaper to make to have lower tier price points i'm still learning that too i'm still trying to figure out ways to do that that make it fun and approachable for everybody and still worth my time. That's the thing. Sometimes you do put in the effort and like I've done projects that weren't really worth my time a lot. And that happens. As an artist, you kind of have to be okay with that sometimes. You're going to put so much effort into some jobs that you'll end up making like five bucks an hour or something. Yeah. And then other jobs will pan out where you make really good money, but it all kind of averages out. But the key is to try to have the same attitude no matter what job you're doing, if it, even if it is one of those ones where you're getting a little bit screwed over financially, to still try to feel grateful that you're doing it. I understand that. Have the same attitude, but also understand your limits. And it's important to set limits. It's like your stop loss, like in the stock market, right? If you don't want to lose a certain amount of money, you have to set a limit. 
And so maybe your limit is time. And it's like, this is what I can do. I could spend this amount of time with this budget and be happy and be able to give you something that I'm happy with and you're happy with. I wanted to talk about, because I'm looking at an article right now online and it talks about certain ways to get attention. Mm -hmm. And one of them kind of ties into something we were just talking about. It says, be completely inefficient. How to get attention, be completely inefficient. This is how they basically describe it. It's such a fast paced business world that people live in, right? So if you're trying to market, you're going to just send out emails to everybody. And we all get them. We get emails that are just spam emails. They don't have mm. your name in them. And if they do, it's just because they use like a program that auto plugs in the name. Mm -hmm. That's efficiency. It's about getting as many people as you can. You're trying mm -hmm. to email as many people as you can and rely on sheer numbers. If you rely on the fact that one out of every thousand people you reach out to will buy your product, then you just got to reach out to a ton of people. But being inefficient is kind of like that. what I was talking about. Writing a letter to each of your neighbors, that's inefficient. That's not the best way to reach everyone. It's slower. It's time consuming. But you're going to sell way more than one out of a thousand letters you send out. Right. You might even get a portrait every 20 of those that you send out if you're doing them to your neighbors. So it's not an efficient way. It stuck out to people because they're not used to seeing inefficiency. <laughs> you know, they're used to seeing efficiency. That's a good way of putting it. Spending the little bit of extra time on a handwritten thank you note for the piece that was just purchased and that you're sending out. Yep. I like to doodle on the envelope sometimes if I have free time. Yep. Those little things that make it a little more special. It's like if your kid gave you noodle art and just glued noodles on a piece of paper, that took them time to do it and they were thinking about you the whole time they were doing it. Right. That's special. That's what makes it special. I like that inefficiency line. I'm all about being efficient. When I'm thinking business, I always think... What's the production line here? How do I cut costs by cutting time and cutting equipment and all that stuff? What's the most efficient way for me to be? Always like that. But I, it's a good reminder. It's hard to do because we're so busy, right? Mm -hmm. That's why we're so always worried about efficiency. You're right. I And I used to send out a handwritten thank you with every order on Etsy. I don't do it now because it's to the point where I just couldn't. But the point is that probably got me a lot of repeat customers. I know like you talked about sending a thank you letter or something like that is so unique. How many things do you order off of Amazon or even Etsy or eBay and you just get the product? There's no letter in it. There's no thank you letter. Right. When you actually get something like that, it's just different, you know? Yeah. It's like sometimes you get the letter that looks like it was hand drawn, but then you realize it was a font. But like, so even if, even if you like were writing in chicken scratches, you know, and barely be able to read it, you know, someone was actually doing that. It feels good. The main college of art did that when I was deciding what schools to go into. And I remember when I got some of my packets and acceptance letters and stuff, instead of just having a you were accepted letter, there were several times where I got a handwritten note postcard from the admissions office. And I was blown away by that especially directly comparing it to other schools that I applied to. And that was, I think that was subconscious, at least even if it was subconscious, it was definitely a selling point. That's the beauty of being a small school like that. They have the resources to take the time. When I went to Mecca, I'll give them a plug. I agree, like the admissions office was so personable. They took the time. I got a personal tour from like one of the head people in admissions. It just felt like they really cared and they really 
we're happy to have even just one student. I mean, most colleges that give you a tour, it's like, all right, you're in there with 30 other prospective students. Mm-hmm. So to get like a personal tour or like you're saying, a personalized letter, it's not efficient. She could have just said, yeah, I'm going to be giving a tour next Friday with all the other people that want to get a tour. Right. But she's like, no, I'll take you around right now. And it took her like an hour out of her day to give one tour to one person that maybe no, won't even come here. Right. <laughs> And it could have been a waste of her time. True. It definitely could have. I guess that's a hard balance to juggle. You can't make that a successful business model. But you can identify who's a better lead versus a not so good lead. Like if would the admission office do the same thing to absolutely every person? Or is there the top thousand people that they really want to come to the school where they're actually writing the hand note to and then the rest are like maybes that might not come? Is there a line that you cross to make your inefficient work more efficient? That's interesting. Maybe they do have certain people they take more time with. And I guess maybe that's a diversification question with attention. It's like, so we're putting time and effort into our social media channels anyways, and we're trying to build relationships as best as we can, but there's just not enough time of the day to be able to do that once you get to a certain point. And so you'll have the shallow relationship stream, but then you have other streams of relationships that you can develop more and more. You start to learn who your core audience is, who's always buying your stuff. You give them more attention. You give your family and friends more attention. And so maybe that's part of it. And we all only have so much attention to give, which is Mm -hmm. another thing. I also would like to talk a little bit about being like salesy because we kind of were talking about this before we started the podcast, but if you're scrolling through TikTok, occasionally you come across TikTok ads. Yeah. And you know right away that they're ads. And I don't know about you, but I think most people scroll past them pretty quick. Yeah. I think people are becoming really privy to that. Yeah. The understanding when they're being sold to. So to get attention, salesy things, I use them on Instagram here and there when I'm having a sale and they do work, but 99% of my posts are not like that. And that's really what you have to do. You have to be just putting your stuff out there like because I have seen some artists that are every post is this is for sale. This is how much it is that, you know, every thing they post mm-hmm. and a little bit of a turn off. People know you're, you're an artist. You're selling your stuff. If they want it, they'll reach out to you. Even to go on with the analogy that I've kind of been using with that person sending out letters to their neighbors, mm-hmm. it might even be more effective to just say, Hey, I'm your neighbor. I'm a teenager. I do uh, pet portraits. I'm really proud of them. I just wanted to show my neighbors what I've been working on. Because then it's like, you're not even selling them at all. That's a great point. I think that's actually a much stronger strategy because you're building the relationship first. You're not even asking for money. And so it might be two, three, four, five postcards that you send them before you even mention that you're taking on a portrait deal. Yeah. And then do a bunch more that are I think this is more along the lines of what you would do for emails, right? Right. But I think postcards could work just as well, and if not better, in some ways. Yeah, build the relationship first with no motive, absolutely no motive, and you're only giving, and and then they're defining the value you're giving. And so maybe you taught them something. You're giving them a quick laugh every day. Every day they receive it, they get that excitement. It's like, oh, that's so cute that they did that. And they'll remember you because of that. You'll easily forget someone who's trying to sell you something. Oh, yeah. 99.9% of the posts on social media I see, I forget. If I got cards in the mail from one of my teenage neighbors just saying, hey, I'm working on art. I wanted to show you the new thing I'm working on. I'm really proud of it. Mm -hmm. That would get my attention. It would stand out. 
And if they sent me another one, I'd be like, this is really cool what they're doing. I think it's such an interesting and unique idea to share their work with there. And I, and I know like, okay, we're using the same analogy, but there's other ways you, you can do this. You just have to be creative. Like mm. how can you do things that are not that efficient, but that are so unique that it's going to get people to like stop right. and think about it because people are just used to being sold and they're used to this certain things. And so you've got to do something that's not like those things, I guess. Right. Uh, that's a cool. I'm not telling you to go and spend a lot of money. Like you could just print them yourselves, these cards with your artwork on them. You could buy stamps if you wanted, but if they're your na actual neighbors, you could just go put them in their door, walk mm -hmm. around your neighborhood one day. And, you know, obviously social distance if you're going to do that in the next <laughs> couple months with COVID, but right. it's not like you have to spend tons of money. I think that's cute. Yeah, that's I'm going to do idea. it. I'm going to pretend I'm a little 10-year-old girl and I'm going to send out art and try to get people to buy it. Right. <laughs> See if it works. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think I'm going to try I'm going to try some guerrilla marketing myself. I love that Shepard Berry story, the, his guerrilla marketing. Like I'm like, "Man, why didn't I think of something like that?" It's mm. such a good idea and it works so well for him. And you've got to be the next Shepard Berry. You've got to figure out how to market in a way that nobody's ever market. And this is like, if we're talking right now about how to get a lot of attention, you have to do something that nobody's ever done before. And that's mm. not easy to do. True. But it can be done. Totally. It doesn't have to be totally original. Maybe you can do a spin off of something that somebody's done before, but you're doing it in a unique way. Right. Like I've been tempted before to like go and sticker Portland up, you know, with my art, but it's like, nah, that's been done. Like, I don't want to just copy something that's been done but it's such a good marketing tool that it's tempting to do it comes down to being authentic too yeah and really just showing who you are planting the seed so someone could learn your story yep people just want to tell their story and so the more you're authentic the more people read that and we've been trained now with social media yeah. and being online so much that we could easily see what's authentic and what's not authentic in seconds. And so you have to also think, you know, you have maybe, maybe seven seconds to get someone's attention. How are you going to do that? How are you going to choose to do that? So on social media, I came across a video. It was like somebody falling down their stairs. It was like ice and they slipped. Yeah. And it was really bad quality video. Like, you know, it was obviously just some security camera. And the top comment someone wrote, I always know it's going to be good when it's a bad video quality. <laughs> and it's true. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, when you see bad video quality, you're like, well, this is going to be funny because, you know, why else would you post it? You yeah. know, there's, so there's something to be said about that. Like, the quality of the video maybe doesn't That's... have to be great if you have such good content and maybe it makes it more authentic. That is so interesting. Wow, it's kind of like art and texture. When digital media first came out, or, or even when you first started experimenting with digital media, my work looked cold. Yeah, It looked so cold because it would be either too perfect or you could just tell that it was digital because you're using your, your uh, fuzzy, fuzzy edge brush too much and trying to blend things in too much and, and everything looked flat. Right. It's like you're trying to be too clean. It looks inauthentic, basically. Inauthentic. So you have to add the texture and the imperfection in order to even get more intrigue. That's so interesting. And it's actually, it kind of makes me feel hope, I guess, hopeful, and feels like it's going to be a little bit easier in the future to get more attention. Because now I'm starting to feel like uh, with that comment that I don't have to get the expensive thing to make the thing look really nice. Yep. I can just be me, make something and throw it up there. 
It's true. People don't care. Like it, it is a human tendency to be like, I want the best programs to work on if I'm doing digital art and the best tools. Like we might even be editing our podcast too heavily. We could be. The reason I've been hesitant to do like a live podcast is because I'm worried like we have to look perfect and maybe the sound quality won't be perfect, but maybe people wouldn't care if we put up a a live video and it wasn't perfect. Like maybe our shtick should be like, we woke up like this literally. We literally woke up like this and we're now having a conversation about art. And like, like, like first thing in the morning, before our shower, before we even brush our teeth, this is how we look and we're just giving you information. It's true. That's, that's, that could be our, that could be the shtick. It is kind of our thing. I'll be honest. Like oftentimes we wait till like the day before our podcast, and I'm like, "Hey, what do you want to talk about tomorrow?" <laughs> right, right. And so it is kind of often last minute. And then sometimes I come on here and like I haven't even given the topic that much thought. Yeah, we're like talking it through. We're kind of figuring it out as we go. And sometimes and. At least we're being authentic. Most times we're just talking it through. Yeah. Yeah. Like today we are. We're figuring out, hey, how what gets our attention? Yeah. Let's talk about it. It's kind of how you should create art too is, is by just kind of figuring it out like and trial and error. Yeah. And that's what works well. Well, that's why I like to look at people's sketchbooks so much because you're looking at them basically working a problem out. Right. It's just the reason why we called it thumbnail. You know, it's just it's where you work out your problems. Yeah. And talk them out and figure them out. But yeah, imperfection is great. Twitter Picasso, I think his name is, or Ballpoint Poppy. He goes by those two names. If you're not familiar with him, look him up on Instagram and Twitter. But he does art and drawings and they're portraits of mostly rappers, but they are like terrible portraits. Well, he's I think he is a good artist, but he's doing it bad on purpose. Mm -hmm. And he's got so many followers. And the point is, it's like it's authentic. It's kind of funny because they're so bad. Mm -hmm. And so perfection is definitely not what he's going for. He's going for just authenticity. And I have to believe that he is a really good artist and he's doing it on purpose. Yeah. Because they're like bad, but in a way that I don't know. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you can just kind of tell that there's skill behind the badness. Oh, totally. I was thinking about this kind of a concept loosely, you know, around the beginning of the new year, I'm always trying to think strategy, what I'm going to do, how I'm going to change things. And I keep getting comments about how people love the behind the scenes and like how you make something and stuff like that. And also I realized how much I don't post the ugly. Mm -hmm. I think I should start posting the ugly. When did I actually think of that idea that I just did? Yeah. It was the really bad sketch I did on like loose leaf paper with lines on it to get the idea out of my head. And then I made a nicer sketch and then a nicer sketch and then maybe posted that round and the rounds after that, right? But I'm not showing the real dirty. Like I'm not showing fully behind the scenes. I'm like, why do I even bother having my walls up? I think it stems from in the beginning when I first had a website and like when social media was just coming out, I thought I had to be like buttoned up and professional at all times and putting your best foot forward so people think you're the best. But it's not approachable. Right. People aren't seeing what it took to get there. And I loved realizing when I saw sketchbooks of artists I truly admired, I'm like, wow, your sketches, your rough sketches aren't much different from my rough sketches. Right. And that is a awesome lesson to learn. It's like they're going through the same steps you're going through. You're just as good as some of your idols at those stages. It's then just leveling up the stage. Yeah. 
and how refined do you actually end up getting or where do you actually stop? And it ends up, it's not that people are better than you. They're just at a different stage or have spent a different amount of time on it or have that much more experience within that thing. So you get a 10-year-old could come up and what if a 10-year-old only drew all the time every day? He's getting his like, quote unquote 10,000 hours in to become a master far quicker than anyone in his age and starting to come up on people twice his age, three right. times his age, just because of how much effort he's put in mm-hmm. to that one thing, that one specific folk. And there's something to be said there. It's not who cares if he's 10, you know, he's masterful. You know, who cares if you're 60 and starting your art career? You think that's why people like seem to like TikTok so much because Instagram kind of became this platform where people were kind of fake and like they're posting perfect pictures of themselves always and, you know, on vacation and making their lives look perfect. And then all of a sudden TikTok comes along and it's like people posting videos of themselves and they're not their makeup's not done and their body's not perfect. And people like to see like other real people yeah, and like know that, oh, okay, we're all kind of a mess in, right. some, in you know, in some aspects. And so don't compare yourself to the model, compare right. yourself to the model when she woke up out of bed, you know, well, don't even compare yourself as far as looks, that's dumb. Right. But you know what I'm kind of getting at? It's, it's similar to the drawing thing. It's like we're comparing ourselves to the wrong thing. And I remember growing up and in school, I'd be intimidated by the people who I admired who had really great work. I'm like, how long is it going to take me to get there? I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, and God, I'm never going to get there. But that's not what you should be looking at. You are there at a different time, in in a different point in that timeline. It's like you're on track. Just keep going. It takes a long time. Yeah. It's a great point. Patience. Yeah. This is a great conversation and topic. I really like to talk about getting attention because it is something that I mean, it kind of ties into a lot of the other conversations that we've had, but we hadn't done like a specific podcast about this topic, and I thought it would be kind of a good one to go over. Yeah, this one was great. And so we'll we'll look forward to to talking to Felix next time. Do you have any other upcoming projects that you're working on that you want to talk about? Some personal projects I'm working on that I'm excited about but not not so ready to talk about yet. Oh, okay. I didn't know. I, I figured it's 2021 now. If you had any projects you were working on, I'll tell you a little bit about two I'm working on, if you yeah. don't mind. And then when you're ready to talk about yours, whatever yeah. episode that is, we'll talk about them. <laughs> Yeah. I'm um, so I am working on an album cover for like an indie band that I'm that I really like from Boston. So I'm excited to do another vinyl album. Cool. And that'll be interesting. I can tell you I, I, he's not going to care. So the guy's name is Lenny Lashley and the band is called Gang of One, but he was in The Street Dogs, which is former members of the Dropkick Murphys. Oh, cool. And he also was in a band called Darkbuster, which is if, if you're in that scene, like you would definitely know who they are. They've played with the Mighty Mighty Boston and stuff. So it's kind of like a yeah. cool Boston punk album that I'm excited to be working on. And then I'm also one of the artists involved in a book. There's other artists. Do you know who Jeremyville is? No. He does these little toys. So he's kind of like an illustrator that's also does like similar to what you do as far mm-hmm. as he also likes to do little sculptures and things. I should look him up. Yeah. I've probably seen his work. I'm terrible with names. He's got a pretty good following on Instagram and other platforms. But anyway, this project that we're working on is it's called the Doomsday Hotel and it's a <laughs> book and each page is going to be illustrated by a different artist and it's going to be like what their hotel room looks like in the middle of a pandemic and if they're in, mm. stuck in a hotel in quarantine. Mm-hmm. So 
all the artists are illustrating like their personal hotel room. That's cool. Yeah. And it, it's a charity thing that's going to be going to the, the Red Cross, the proceeds. So it's not something I'm being paid for. I just wanted yeah. to be part of the project when I was asked. So those are two cool things I'm working on that I'm, I'm excited for. As the projects get closer to release, I'll obviously post about them on social media and maybe talk a little bit more about them on here. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm really excited where this podcast is going and the traction it's starting to get. So I'm looking forward to the new year. Yeah. Year number two. This, this is, our, is this is like this basically the start of the second year. If you look at stats online, like most podcasts don't even make it to like five episodes. Like they peter out before that. And it's like a, less than 5% of podcasts that will make it a full year. So we're in the top percentage as far as like actually making it to a certain point. But we don't want to peter out now. We want to continue. And we also want to have more guests on. We did a decent amount of guests last year, but it'd be cool to even do like one a month or something and start il- nice. interviewing more uh, illustrators and other artists and getting their perspective. Yeah. That'd be sweet. So that's what you have to look forward to in 2021 from us. Cool. Well, thanks so much for listening and catch you next time. All right. Have a good one.